Testament, the Old Testament. So, we are starting this session. So, did Jesus intend that we should no longer read the Old Testament? Very quickly, the answer to that is no, right? The answer to that is no. Why? Why is that the case? Because in John chapter 5, please follow me. In John chapter 5, verse 46, we saw that Jesus said, if you had believed what? Moses, you would what? Believe me, right? He also said, why? Because he wrote of me. He says, if you don't believe me, right? If you don't believe me, right? It's because you don't believe his writings. Remember that. So if, if Jesus intends that we should not read Genesis to Malachi, it will mean that Jesus does not want us to know who he is. Praise God. Now, let me, let, me, let me give you an idea of what we're talking about. You know, we have taught earlier that the word Christ just means Savior. Right? But in reading from the Old Testament text, we are seeing a larger and a broader context of the word Savior. We are seeing that the broader context of the word Savior is that it involves a seed and a family, an household. Right? That's what we are saying. So it is just, it is beyond him saving. It goes further to him building. Are you getting me? So we progress into a deeper meaning of the person of Jesus and his work. Are you following that? Okay. So, so we will say that, we answer that question that Jesus, of course, wants us to read the Old Testament because he has said, that the Old Testament, they wrote about it. Please, Old Testament in Genesis to Malachi, please. It's very important you understand that. Another question we should answer very quickly is, did Jesus intend, this is very important, that we should refer to Genesis to Malachi only concerning his death, burial, and resurrection? Is that what the Old Testament books or the Old Testament texts are for? The answer is also no. Why? Why is the answer no? Because after Jesus was raised from the dead, can everybody hear me at the back? Good. After Jesus was raised from the dead, you will see that the apostles applied the text of the Old Testament for everyday church activities. So it's not just for the dead. Burial and resurrection of Jesus. Let's see an example of that. Acts chapter 1. Let's see an example of Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1. Now, the story here is the Judas had betrayed Jesus, right? And um, they wanted to replace him, right? With somebody. So, in verse... In verse 18, Acts chapter 1, you will see Peter standing up and he's saying that the person we are going to pick, right, will be somebody who has followed Jesus from the point of John's baptism. Let's read from verse 21. Acts 1, 21. He said, wherefore, uh, it's nice, you'll be forced to look at your Bible, not the screen. That's good. <laughs> so 21. Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us, 
all the time that the Lord Jesus went in out, went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So in choosing, listen carefully, in choosing another person to replace um, Judas, the apostles actually went to the book of Acts. I'm sorry, to the book of Psalms. You can write this down for your study. Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. So, there was a post-resurrection activity. A post-resurrection activity that the apostles did and they referred to the text of the Old Testament. Are you following? In choosing somebody. Are you with me? Okay. Also, which we know very well, on the day of Pentecost, right? On the day of Pentecost, where when the disciples were speaking in tongues, the apostles were speaking in tongues, isn't it? And people said, oh, these guys are drunk. Oh, what's going on here? Right? What did Peter do? Peter stood up and taught from the Old Testament about a post-resurrection activity, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Are you following? So that's another activity. So that means that Jesus did not intend for us to use Genesis to Malachi all about his death, his burial, and resurrection. There are post-resurrection activities about it. Is it clear? Okay, very good. Very good. Another example, please, it's important that you write this example. Another example is in Act chapter 4. Act chapter 4. I'm going to show you a lot of examples as we continue this study. In Act chapter 4. What happened in Act chapter 4? You can write down, write it just down, write, write it down. I will not, will not read it, just for the purpose of getting what I'm trying to say. In Act chapter 4, the disciples were persecuted, right? So they, the Bible says that they went to their own company and prayed, right? In prayer, right? In prayer, they quoted Psalm 2, verse 1 to 8 to pray. You know, we do that too. Anytime we want to pray, we say we're going to pray from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 to, you know, so that's exactly what they were doing. So that means that's a post-resurrection activity of the church. And they were using the text of the Old Testament as a means to pray. Are you seeing it? So again, Genesis to Malachi is not all about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Are you following? That's another example. Act 6. This one, we're going to read it. Act chapter 6. I like this one so much because... It's very, very instructive. In Acts chapter 6, the women in the church, they were complaining. Oh, the apostles have abandoned us. Oh, this, that, that, that. And they were complaining. So the apostles now said, okay, you know what we're going to do? We are going to choose deacons, what we call deacons today, or what we can call associate pastors, right? That will help in meeting these needs. I want to let you know that now, look at the criteria. That's the point. Look at the criteria. The criteria is that look for people who have honest reports, right? Full of the Holy Ghost, right? And full of wisdom. Where do you think the apostles got that from? Again, they got it from the text of the Old Testament. Let's see that one. Exodus 18. Let's look at that one. Exodus 18. So, in choosing deacons, associate pastors, right? They did what? They also referred to the text of the Old Testament. Are you following? Say the Old Testament is not useless. Say it, say it. Of course. Anyway. 
Exodus 18. Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18, verse 18. Now, let's, 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 let me give you the background of what is happening. Jethro came to meet Moses, right? And Moses, throughout the whole day, he will sit down from dawn to dawn, right? Canceling and judging the people. Jethro came and said, you are going to die. That's exactly. And that cancel is by the Spirit of God. When somebody come and meet you and say, you will die because you are giving yourself too much. Don't say, I rebook you. You will actually die. <laughs> so Jethro told him and said, you are going to die. What you should do is that you should appoint certain people that will be in charge, right, of judging the people. If something is high for them, they can now bring them to you. Let's read it. So you see, verse 18, he says, he says, thou, Exodus 18, 18, thou will surely wear away both thou and these people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee, thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Acting now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou, be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Now, let's read verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people able men, such as what? Fear God. Uh-huh. And aid covetousness, honest reports. Act chapter 6. You see? That's honest report. He says, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. This is also how cell meetings came to be. This is the first cell meeting. Are you seeing that? This is the first cell meeting. So he says, appointment. So cell meeting is biblical. Jonathan, it is biblical. You have, we have a biblical pattern of it. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I told you, we have to be doing it together. Amen? All right. So, so that's an example. If you, read, if you read into verse 26, you will see the qualities, the qualities that they mentioned in Acts 6. You will, read, you will see those qualities in Exodus 18 from verse 18 to 26. You will see them. So, what does that mean? That means that in the everyday lives, write this down, in the everyday lives of the local church in the book of Acts, they use the Old Testament text as a point of reference. They used it as a way of life to follow God. So, so the answer to that question is that the Jesus intent that upon his resurrection, the Old Testament book should not be referred to. The answer is no. Amen? The answer is no. Now, again, another way to ask that question is, did he intend that we should refer to the Old Testament books? Or let's put it this way. Because that's, let's put it this way. Did the apostles intend that we should do away with the Old Testament book since Jesus had come? The answer is also no. Why? Because, let's see, Acts 17. Acts 17. Look at the apostles. They are teaching. Acts 17. Maybe want you, what's the essence of this? The essence of Bible teaching is so that you'll be a teacher. Amen? That's the point. 
Why do you come to church? You come to church so that you'll be a minister of the gospel. Why do you go to school to become whatever you are studying? Church should not be any different. It should not be saying, it should not be I receive, I receive every time. Amen? You sit down, you learn so you can minister the, to the gospel. Minister the gospel. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. All right. Let's go. Acts 17. Acts 17. The ministry of Paul. Acts 17. Look at what Paul did. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, verse 2 and 3. And Paul, as his manner was, went in into them three Sabbath days, reasoning with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must need have suffered and risen again from the dead. And this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Where did Paul open and allege from? From the scriptures. Right? That's in verse 2. He opened and alleged that Jesus is the Christ from the scriptures. Amen? Good. You can see that. Now look at verse 11 of Acts 17. Verse 11 of Acts 17. He says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and such the scriptures were daily. Whether those things were so. So the church, right, the congregants, like we established in the last session, the Bible they had, what they used was Genesis to Malachi. Amen? Amen. Now, another example of Paul's ministry, Act 19. You can just put this one down. Look at it. It's not compulsory, we read it. Act chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. If you read Act 19, Paul made certain disciples. Right? And ask them if they received the Holy Ghost. Right? And he said, oh, we've not heard anything about the Holy Ghost. Right? The Bible says in verse 8 and 10, he taught from the scriptures about the Holy Ghost. The ministry of the Spirit. He taught, he taught them Jesus Christ. And the Bible says they got filled with the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. From where? From Genesis to Malachi. Amen? That's what he did. Now, in Act 19, now this one we should read it. In Act 19, this one we should read it. Act 19. Verse 20. Verse 20. This was in Ephesus. This was in Ephesus. Okay? This activity was happening in Ephesus. So in Act 19, verse 20, when Luke, because Luke was the one that wrote um, the book of Acts. So when Luke, in verse 20, says, so mightily grew the word of God and what? And prevailed. What is the word of God that grew? Huh? Ah, come what is the word of God that grew? Where, did they, where were they teaching that from? Old Testament. So it means that the explanation of God's word. Now, write this one. The explanation of God's word that grew in men's hearts were the Old Testament books. So that means men were able to see what the Old Testament books is about. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, so, 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 in the book of Acts, the apostles did not show an intent that the Old Testament books should be done away with. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Okay, so, now, did the apostle also say, that we should use the Old Testament books for just 
promises and prophecies. Eh? You can't be tired, though. <laughs> you can't be tired of it. Amen? Okay. So, let's see the epistles also. Let's see the epistles. This is very, very important. I'm showing you how the Bible is shaped. So, it's very important. Epistles. Let's look at the epistles. First Corinthians chapter 9. I was talking to Pastor Costin the other day, and we're just fellowshipping with God's word. And, you know, we, we, we said something, you know, as we're sharing, that believers, Christians, should know the Bible. Amen? You should know the Bible. It's not every time, right? You should be hearing, you should not even hear it at all anyway. You should be hearing um, five keys for divine favor. Amen? It's not every time. Praise God. I'm just being mild. You should not even hear it at all. Praise God. How does, you know, you know somebody, somebody, said, somebody said something, and it, it, it's true. I agree with what that person, pastor, said. I think Bishop also was the one that shared it with me. That, you know, we are, that it is possible that we'll be raising a generation, a generation that their prayer life is built on social media. Typing amen. Amen. They cannot pray. You understand? Where, where the people that we want to become, men that we want to be like, we know that they spend hours praying. Praise God. You have to pray. You will see it here. You will know the need for prayer in this meeting. <laughs> First Corinthians 9. Let's see the epistles. First Corinthians 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. So let's see the epistles also. That, but, that buttresses the question we're asking. First Corinthians chapter 9. Look at Paul talking about how to take care of ministers. Paul is saying, this is how to take care of ministers. In verse 9, look at what he says. He says, for it is written in the law of Moses. What is the law of Moses again? Is it legalism? Very good. It's very important. So he says, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treaded out the corn. Doeth God take care for oxen? So, this is, this is Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4 that um, uh, Paul quoted. But Paul is talking about taking care of ministers. Are you seeing that? So that means Paul wants to teach about pastoral care. Right? How you should take care of leaders and pastors. And he referred to a teaching of Moses. That's what, that's what Moses is talking about. Are you following? He's not talking about animal. Amen? Don't sleep. Bro. Don't sleep. If I catch you, you stand up. Because I'm not sleeping. Praise God. Pastor Marcus, I, I have right to do that. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I've collected authority. Okay. So, now, so you see that Paul is teaching, taking care of ministers, and he uses that example of what Moses is teaching there. That's an interpretation, isn't it? Very good. Let's see another example. Romans 10. This one, we're going to stay there for a while. Romans chapter 10. Because this will buttress the idea of the law of Moses here again. Romans chapter 10. One of the things I'm trying to do in this meeting is that I want you to appreciate reading the Old Testament. I want that's what that's essence. I want you to appreciate reading the Old Testament. I can tell you personally, me, I have covered the New Testament, more. this New Testament, I've covered it more than 100 times. 
You get the Old Testament. I have covered it clearly a few times. So if I'm trying to cover the Old Testament, you know some people used to say that what they don't like about the Old Testament is the begat, 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 the genealogy, and this one begat is boring. You don't know that thing is is a reality in redemption. The reason of for begat is to find the Son, <laughs> the Son of God. Okay, I said what Romans ten, right? Romans chapter ten. Romans chapter ten. Now Romans chapter ten. Let's read from verse three or two. He says, "For I bear them record, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge." He's talking about the children of Israelites here. He says, "For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness." Right? He says, "And have not submitted themselves unto who? the righteousness of God." You can rejoice about this. Glory! Okay, all right. <laughs> Amen. Let your mind be here. Praise God. All right. So, where did I stop? Glory. Who said glory? <laughs> okay, verse 3. He says, And going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of of God. Okay, so now some folks, please listen here. Some folks assume that what Paul is doing here is that Paul is making a contrast, right? Between the Old Testament and his epistle. No, he's not doing that. Paul is rather I, I, I need to put my this in Romans because I'm going to stay here in Romans 10 a lot. Now, Paul is rather Giving them, listen, and you should write this down. Paul is rather giving them the doctrine of Moses as the doctrine of the church. Okay, you are going to see it soon. Now, so Paul is not contrasting Moses' writing. He is rather explaining it. Now, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law. Are you looking at the Bible? Look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. Not phone. Bible. 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 Open it. Diamonds. Open it. Look at the Bible. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Now you may quickly stop at verse five and say. Paul is contrasting Moses and Christ. That's not it. How? Look at verse 6. But the righteousness of, but the righteousness which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. Say not in thy heart, who shall what? Ascend unto heaven, that is to bring Christ from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith he, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith, which we what? Do you know that these verses, verse 6 to 8, Paul is quoting the writing of Moses. Are you following? He's quoting Moses to explain righteousness by faith. You want to see it? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Go there. Quickly, quickly, quickly. There's a lot I want to say to this session. So I want you to get it. Deuteronomy chapter 13. 
Deuteronomy chapter 30. Am I pronouncing that way? Deuteronomy. <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing that. My guys, some of my guys uh, in Lagos just make jest of me that I don't know how to pronounce Bible names. I am not a Jew. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10. I want you to see. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10. And Oh, yeah, I'm right. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10. I, was, I thought it was wrong. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book, in, in this book of the law, and if thou turn in unto the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, for this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven. Is that, is that Romans? Are you following? I read it all. It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. So who first taught justification by faith? Very good. So, so Paul in Romans chapter 10, Paul in Romans chapter 10 couldn't be quoting Moses and then constructing Moses. Are you, did you get that? Oh, you didn't get it. Let me say it again. Paul could not be quoting Moses at the same time contrasting Moses. Are you there? Good. So, everything Paul taught, and even Jesus himself, is first found in the law of Moses. Everything. Are you with me? Everything that Jesus is taught, and Moses is taught, the first place you find it is the law of Moses. Are you there? Good. So, back to Romans. Romans 10. Back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. Back to Romans 10. So, in Romans 10, is Paul saying something new? Huh? No, he's not saying something new. Somebody, 2,000 or 3,000 years ago, has, has started talking about it. Right? Righteousness by faith. Okay. So, now in Romans 10, 3, again. So, when Paul says, they go about... They go about to establish their own righteousness. Again, is that something new? Ah, no, 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 it's me. It's not the preacher. It's me, it's Luca. That time is changing. I just started. Okay, look at me, look at me now. Luca, it's okay. Look at me. So, so now, in verse 3, listen now, listen, 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 listen. When Paul says they are going about to establish their own righteousness. Now, to, to establish somebody's, to establish your own righteousness, 
That will be righteousness by works, right? Okay. So again, is that going to be a new thing? No. Let's see. Let's look at that one. So again, Paul is also referencing Moses about a justification that is done by works. And, that, and Paul says it's not profitable. Okay. So let's see. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Again. 9. Is it clear? Is everything going? Huh? Okay. You say, ah, but we started with seed. We are going to seed. Don't worry. We are going to seed. Deuteronomy 9, verse 3. Deuteronomy 9, verse 3. Understand, therefore, this day. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 3. Please look at the Bible. Please look at the Bible. Understand, therefore, this day, that the Lord thy God is, in, is he which goeth before thee as a consuming fire. For he shall destroy them and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shall I drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord had said unto thee. Now, verse 4. Speak not, speak not, listen, speak not thou in thy heart, after that the Lord thy God had cast them out from before thee, for saying, saying, for my what? For my righteousness, the Lord had brought me. In to possess the land. Stop. For whose righteousness? My righteousness. That's works. So, um, and we said Paul. Moses is saying that do not say when the Lord brings you into the promised land that it is by my own righteousness that I came into this land. That's why, that's why the Lord brought me. He said, don't say that. Look at, let's go on. He says, brought me. But for the wickedness of this nation, the Lord will drive them out from before thee. Verse 5. Not for thy righteousness or for thy uprightness of thy heart, doest thou go to possess their land. But for the wickedness of this nation, the Lord thy God doeth drive them out from before thee. He says, And that he may perform the words which the Lord swore unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 6. Understand therefore that, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy Righteousness. Who are they? The next phrase. For thy word is stiff naked people. <laughs> Moses must write this. If you don't write it, it's not complete. Amen? So, so you can see righteousness by works. Moses also spoke about it. So there's righteousness by faith and there's righteousness by works. Now the question is, why righteousness? Again, is what we, how we treated um, the last session. Why is there? Why is there true righteousness? Why? There is two. Yeah, there is true righteousness because when Moses rejected the righteousness of faith, he rejected it. So by faith, he brought in the righteousness that my works. So faith was acceptance of God's faith through works. I told you. Okay. So. Verse 3 to 6 is exactly what Romans 10 is. Can you see it? 98. Ah. This is the 
of his ministry is from the Old Testament. Look at Romans 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Romans 16, 25. It says, look at the Bible. Don't look up. Just look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. You have been doing it since. You did not die. Look, look at the Bible. Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest by what? By the scriptures of the prophets. Right? According to the commandment of the everlasting God. So we see... That Paul's message, just like Jesus, just like what was happening in the book of Acts, they use the text of the Old Testament. Amen? Amen? Okay. Let's see one more about Paul. One more about Paul's epistle. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're there in the last session, but I want us to... Now, look at, in verse 7, look at what it says in verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says, purge out therefore, purge out therefore the old leaven, that he may be a new lump, as you are what? As you are what? Unliving, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed, sacrificed for, for us. This, does this look like anything in New Testament? He's saying old leaven, lump. This, this is Exodus. Are you saying that? Specifically, it's even Leviticus when they were doing all those practices. Are you following? Okay. Look at verse 8. He says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with what? Old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, let me tell you something. If you now go back and read Leviticus, right, or um, um, Exodus, uh, and, you, and you are reading unleavened, unleavened, you know, you begin to have a better understanding why Moses will say, do not put the yeast in that place to make it an unleavened bread. Because what Moses is teaching is that hardening that will be a symbol of carnality of the flesh. Are you understanding it? Okay. So, so, and in 1 Corinthians 5, remember, we looked at it. He was talking about that brother that slept with his father's wife. And so, Paul, in passing out judgment, right? In passing out judgment in, and how they should practice Christian living and Christian guarding. Where did he refer to? Old Testament text. So, that means Christian conduct can be taught from the Old Testament. So, so when he says, purge out therefore the old living. You know, the purge out will be that separate that brother from you. Amen? You should remember that too. I can't. So, look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. So he says, then he said, no, he said, but them that are without God judges. 
Therefore, put away from among yourself that wicked person. When he says that wicked person, he says, cast that person from you. Paul is teaching from Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 5. That is where he's taking it from. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 5. So, Paul is talking about Christian gathering. Right? And he's saying, he's teaching how Christians should gather. Right? And how they should separate when an um, and a brother is very incorrigible. Right? He's saying, this is how you should deal with him. And he's teaching it from the text of the Old Testament. Praise God. In 1 Corinthians 6, you, you, there's no need to go there, but we're going to see it later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says, don't you know that the saints will judge angels? And what he was teaching is that, why are you taking your brother to court in front of a non-believer? Can't you settle among yourself? Don't you know that the saints will judge angels? Are you seeing that? So again, in teaching how we must treat one another in love, Paul is referring to Psalm 82. Amen. We'll look at that. That one is very strong. We'll look at it. So, so every time he's teaching the church, every time he's teaching the church, the Bible of Paul is not the epistles. Amen. The Bible of Paul is not the epistle. Again, let me remind you why this is important. We can never know, right, the true meanings of what they were teaching if we don't use the materials they used. You can never know it. You can never know it. So, I'll I I say, say this later. True theology begins from understanding the text of the Old Testament. Amen? Let me give you an example. I think I'm going to talk about it in this session, if time permits. The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, we have an inheritance. Right? Have you ever asked yourself, what is the inheritance of the Christ? Do you know that that statement by Paul, where do you think Paul gets that we have an inheritance in Christ. Have you forgotten? Or let me remind you. That remember when God told the children of Israel. Or their fathers. That I will give you a land for an inheritance. That is where Paul will know. That in Christ we have an inheritance. So Paul will use the Exodus story. Right? To teach our inheritance. But do you know. That you can never know. What that inheritance is. If you don't know the significance of that inheritance in Genesis to Deuteronomy, I will show you what that inheritance is. In, you will see it soon. Are you, do you understand what I'm saying? So, people will read Romans 8 and talk, we are joint heirs. We have an inheritance in Christ. And where their mind is, is the next contract or the next business. Not knowing that God does not know about your contract. Is the truth? Some of you may be saying, "Is God not interested in our our natural?" He is interested, but that's not what that text means. Don't let us yeah mix it. Amen, amen. Uh huh. 
what did I what was I saying? I just remember something. So yeah, I don't know, same. So so what is what then is the epistles for? The epistles, right, 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 right. The epistles were used in his absence. The epistles were used in his absence. They did not use the epistles to teach at all. I heard a teaching. A man of God was teaching on the book of Romans. And he said that the epistle to Romans, that letter, the cost of it in today's money is $2,000. The cost of it in today's money. So, so it was very expensive. So when we even talk about the epistles, it's not just one, Paul will just say, send me a sheet of paper there. Let me, <laughs> let me write to the Romans. No, it cost money. It was valuable. Right? But still, that was not their teaching notes. Right? That was not the materials they used. Are you following? Okay. So, so, In fact, let me let just have this. In fact, none, many theologians, and theologian that I, I respect so much, uh, that's my mentor, says this, that none of the apostles, right, knew that their letters would become scriptures. They didn't know. So imagine in Paul's mind, in 5,000 years ago, 5,000 years later in Paul's mind, he would have thought that, in today's church, we'll still be reading Genesis to Malachi. You know, that's what he would have thought. Because he didn't know that the epistles to Rome. I can see. I'm sorry. <laughs> <What's about this? laughs> okay. So he didn't know that the um, Romans, Colossians, Thessalonica, right, will become scripture. He didn't know. So again, the importance is that we must read Genesis to Malachi. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so, so, what, 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 I said the epistles were used in their absence, right? So, whenever they used the Old Testament text is when they came to church, when Paul came. Paul will not say, uh, Acripos, let's bring my letter I wrote to Colossians. No, he will go to Genesis. He will go to Exodus. He will go to Deuteronomy, right? He will go to First Kings. Are you following? Okay. So, Second Timothy three. Go there. Second Timothy three. Second Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen, and that from a child, thou hast known the holy scripture. Pastor Fred was here. It says, and that from a child that has known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make the wise through faith which is in Christ. Now, remember that he told Timothy, if you read verse 10, if, if he told Timothy in verse 10 that you have known my doctrine and my manner of life. Then in verse 14, he now says, continue in what I have taught you. Then in verse 15, he now says, you have known the Scriptures. Meaning that Paul's material is the scriptures. Are you following? Which means that Paul's doctrine, what we say, the Pauline revelation, they are in Christ's reality, it's 
see, I can tell you that Moses' theology eh, is in Christ. See, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that five books, all that Moses was talking about is in Christ. Just read it, you will see. Amen? So, look at verse 16 of 2 Timothy. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For teaching. Now, teaching who? The church. The scripture is Genesis to Malachi. So, Genesis to Malachi is profitable for teaching. Now, what is in teaching is the next thing he mentions. In teaching, there is reproof. In teaching, there is correction. In teaching, there is instruction in righteousness. Reproof means to give evidence. So, as I teach, I am giving evidence of what I'm saying. Right? As I teach, I am correcting. As I teach, there is instruction in righteousness. Now, I won't talk about that a bit. Instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness means to train up a child. Right? To train up a child. Now, when he says to train up a child, is that spiritual growth? So, spiritual growth is from where? From the Old Testament. Amen? Spiritual growth is in the text of the Old Testament. So, the apostles used Genesis to Malachi to teach spiritual growth. It's not the epistles. Like I said, that I said earlier, I mentioned this in passing, that in the apostles' churches, in their churches, the Bible wasn't divided. They didn't have Old Testament section, New Testament, like we have it. Nobody called Genesis to Malachi the Old Testament. Nobody. Nobody. Okay? Whenever they wanted to talk about new creation realities, new covenant realities, they were using the books of the Old Testament to talk about it. Are you following? Okay. So, going to the Old Testament, write this one down. Going to the Old Testament for promises and prophecies, right, about Jesus, right, is an half-baked doctrine. If that's all you do, to go to the Old Testament only for that, because you are supposed to not just teach that, you are supposed to teach spiritual growth, you are supposed to teach Christian living, you are supposed to teach how to get filled with the Holy Ghost, is there. Should I say it again? Going to the Old Testament for promises and prophecies only about Jesus is an half-baked doctrine. Amen? Because it's more than that. Is it not, uh, so far, have you not seen that it's more than that? Uh-huh. First Corinthians 3. Stay with me. Some of you are tired. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Don't be tired. Eh? Amen? Amen? Don't be tired. Don't be tired. You know? The way, the way, oh, uh, me to have sat down like this before. Don't think I don't used to sit down. I've sat down on that one teaching like that. It's 12 hours. So, and the pastor catch you sleeping. You are finished. <laughs> you are, you embarrassed. It's not like, you say, you be I'm your pastor. You come, see me sleeping, you know. You be poor, and everybody there will be laughing too. I know you cannot laugh. You just, 
So don't. You see, ah, ah, is it by that? It's by that. It's by that. When the scripture talked about the word of God, he called it labor. He didn't say, you know, you know, people think, oh, the revelation just came to me. It's labor, it's labor, it's labor. No, it's labor. The Bible says we should be laborers of the word. Say, is that, is that not legalism? It's not legalism. Ah, ah, Abba. You, you say you don't want to study. You want to just wake up and say, uh, uh, seven keys of kingdom covenant. I don't even know how to say it here. <laughs> so, stay with me, guys. Stay with me. Don't be tired. Eh? First Corinthians 3. Let's go there. I want to show you something. First Corinthians chapter 3. I, I, I said this last year, this story last year, of um, somebody that was very, very close to, very close to me. And, you know, this lady, you know, I used to teach things like this, you know, doctrine and, you know, things like that. But she always kept on, she always says, she always says, she always says that, um, um, what's all this for? What's all this for? So I'm saying that all this for is to know God now. I would say, ah, it's to know him now. Say, I know. But ah, how is he going to put food on my table? How is he going to do this? Ah. I say, ah, me, I don't know that one. But I know is that you will know him. So it happened that she now left the ministry. She left the church and everything. So a few years down the line, something that happened to her. Right? Something happened. She started looking for a child. You know? So she started running from pillar to post. Ah, this one. They tell her, do this one. Ah, do this one. Ah, she started looking for a child. So she now happened to call me. Ah, Pastor. Ah, where have you been? I said, I'm, where are you putting me? I'm, I'm still there. So she now said, ah, I want you to pray. For me. I said, I said, I said, what's going on? What happened? She said, ah, that she has been looking for a child. I said, ah, okay. No, I'm not wicked. <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> that laugh was, ah, uh, I'm going to show you. <laughs> I'm not wicked. I said, ah, okay, okay. So I now told her that as she, as she confessed God's word, he said, Pastor, it's not all this thing. I want you to prophesy. Ah, I, can't pro- I can't prophesy. Is it because, now why did I give that story? I gave that story to tell you that. You see, the knowledge of God, right, teaches you how to dominate even the forces of evil in your natural life. It teaches you that. So when we are saying Greek, evil, all those things, context is for you to understand how to live supernaturally in this world. Do you understand? I do that. I say you have to, you know, work in your, because nobody will put hand on your stomach. And baby, will, nobody will. You believe God's word and you do the things that they needed to be done. Amen? <laughs> I have to laugh there now. Not for you. <laughs> Praise God. So, my point is that, my point is that, that lady today, she's still going from one place to another and she's doing a lot of fasting. If you don't know God's word, you will go. 
the way you fast. You know, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor Costi said something I would never forget when we held uh, one of his meetings. He said that, he was talking about God's word. He said that if you don't know it now, name God's word now, you will know it by pressure. <laughs> that statement is so powerful. He said, pressure will make you know it. <laughs> I will never forget that statement. Because, you know, life has challenges. Jesus is not immune from that whole. Jonathan, but he's knowing our realities that makes us superimpose God's realities. Do you understand? That's why we are learning God's word. Ah. I don't want to talk. First Corinthians 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. He says, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. The word carnal, where did Paul get the word carnal from? Amen? Where did he get it from? The word carnal in the Greek is the word sakikos. S-A-R-K-I-K-O-S. S-A-R-K-I-K-O-S. Sakikos. It means sensual. That's what it means. Sensual of the flesh. But where did he get it from? This is how we will know Paul. How Paul got it from. Quickly go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So this is how Paul qualified carnality. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I, I can't read a lot of it. But if you read from verse 1 to 11, right? You see that Paul mentions actions, characters of the folks in Moses' writing and tells us that we should not be like them. So, Paul was able to know what is of the flesh and not the spirit by looking at the actions of people in the Old Testament. Do you understand? That's how Paul knew that this is carnal. This is of the flesh. This is devilish. Eh? Do you, do you see? Okay, let's, let's see verse 6. Let's see verse 6. Verse from verse 5. First Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust over after. To the intent. That we should not lust after evil things as they what? Lusted. Are you looking at it? It says, neither be ye what? Come on, come on, come on. You have to read it with me now. Neither be ye what? As were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8. Come on, verse 8. Read verse 8. Verse 9, read verse 9. Verse 10. Now verse 11. See now verse 11. So that means that when I read those actions... Those people there, I can find this is carnality. Hmm? This is, I can know that this is how I can explain what is of the flesh. Amen? So Paul did not come up with what is of the flesh by his experience. No. 
He's writing the scriptures. Are you there? Are you there? All right. Okay. So, so look at what Paul says. He says they were written for our what? Examples. They were written for our learning. Romans 15 verse 4. If you read it there, it says that the things that were written aforetime, they were written for our learning. That word learning there in verse 4 is doctrine. It's doctrine. So the doctrine of the church is the Old Testament book. Say that with me. The doctrine of the church is the Old Testament books. So, so did Jesus intend that the Old Testament books should be abandoned? Good. So, for example, when Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them, name, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end. Where will the teaching begin from? The Old Testament. Genesis to Exodus, thank you. I'm still used to that too. <laughs> All right. So, so because, let me tell you the danger of just using the Old Testament books for just promises and prophecies. You will not be able to read everything. You'll be cherry picking. That's the danger. You'll be cherry picking. You say, this one is not for me. This one is for me. Everything is for you. Everything is for me. You read everything. Amen? Even speaking in tongues. Ha! If I catch those reformers. About speaking in tongues. If I catch them, I will say, oh yeah, explain it. You say the speaking in tongues ended in the, this, oh yeah, but they promised it. If we, oh yeah, preach it from here. Amen? Sorry, that's just an inside joke with the pastors. We don't know who reformers are. Okay. <laughs> so, are the Old Testament books, are they old? Are they old? They are not old, though. It is the doctrine of the church. Amen? Praise God. So what do I see? What do I see in the Old Testament book? I see Christian practice. I see Christian gatherings. Right? I see Christian practice, Christian gatherings. I see Christian living. I also see spiritual growth. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So. Let's see something very instructive. Yeah. Again on this subject. Stay with me. Act chapter 8. Pastor, Pastor Fred, you, don't, you read this, right? Act chapter 8. Pastor Fred taught from here. Just want to emphasize something very important here. Something that is going to be instructive for you. Philip was instructed by the Spirit of God to meet an Ethiopian Enoch, right? Now, there's something Philip did that I want you to see. So, when the Ethiopian Enoch met him and asked him, oh, is he speaking about the prophet or somebody else? The Bible says in verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, do you know the question is, the question is, Jesus is not in Isaiah 53. Eh? If you read Isaiah 53, you are not going to see Jesus. You will not even see the word Christ in Isaiah 53. 
So how come Luke gave a summary that what Philip did is that he preached Jesus? It will mean that what Philip did is that Philip went throughout the whole scripture. For him to give that summary that what Isaiah is speaking of is Jesus. Since Jesus is not here, it will mean that Philip would have gone throughout the whole scripture to, find, to show him Jesus. Do you understand? Okay. Very important. In other words, this is why I said this. In other words, the Bible teacher, that's why I said it's instructive. The Bible teacher, right? The minister of the gospel, the believer, when it comes to answering questions, you must be thorough. Yeah? You must be thorough. You don't, you, you don't give impromptu questions. I mean, sorry, impromptu answers. Don't rush the answers. Philip was what? Philip was thorough. Was it not thorough? Eh? Philip was thorough. Look at what the, the, the Enoch said. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Is there son of God in Isaiah 53? There's no son of God there. So Philip must have gone through the scriptures to tell him that what Isaiah is saying is actually the son of God. Are you following so, Philip, Philip took him across the scriptures. Does that remind you of Luke 24? What Jesus did? He went across the scriptures. So, every opportunity you have, you must handle God's word carefully. Handle God's word carefully. Don't rush. Sometimes, some people ask me questions. Right? Because I don't want to rush, I will say, I've taught it somewhere. Do you like to listen? And the funny thing is that the answer eh, is not in the beginning. So you have to listen to that two-hour track. It's training. So because you want me to just give you gosa. Gosa cannot, go, ah, gosa, the Greek word of gosa is, <laughs> is gosa. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't just give it to you like that. Because giving it to you like that will not train you. It will not make you effective. Because I can, I'm, the essence of why I'm sharing God's word to you is not just because I want you to know. I want you to be a teacher of God's word. Amen? I remember in Pastor Costin's meeting, uh, somebody asked a question. that, um, So how, how am I going to explain it to somebody else? This I said, teach it the way I taught it. It's because you want to be quick. To just say, oh, it's not, it's not in context. Check the Greek. Check it there. If you see it, it's not... You want to just show off. Don't show off. Teach. Amen? When we <laughs> praise God. You know, when, 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 there's too, when we're drunk in knowledge, you just be saying, no, 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 no. It's like you're an illiterate in Bible study. Read it carefully. <laughs> God forgive us. Stupid, just, just stupidity. Doesn't make sense anyway. <laughs> so, Paul tells Timothy, that in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, study to show yourself approved, right? He says, like a workman, right? He says, to, to, to what end? So that the man, right, is able to understand that you may rightly what? Divide the word of truth. The word study there means to be eager. Huh? To be eager, to be diligent. That is how you must be as a Bible teacher. To be diligent. 
Look at what I'm trying to explain. I've not even gotten to where I am. Where I'm going to. Yes. Yes, why five days? Yes. So, write this down. The Bible teacher is called to interpret. We are called to interpret. We are not called to choose a text to obey. We are called to interpret biblical text. Pastor, we continue on that. But we are called to interpret. We are called to interpret. Remember that text I showed you about taking care of ministers. If you read it, it's animals. But Paul interpreted it to taking care of what? Ministers. So we are called to interpret biblical text. Right? Paul gave that text an interpretation. Same thing in Luke 24. The Bible says he expounded unto them the things concerning himself. That word expounded has a root word from interpretation. So Jesus also interpreted it. Jesus interpreted the law of Moses and the prophets. What did the apostles do? The apostles, they interpreted. You should write what I just said. Jesus interpreted the law of Moses and the prophets. What did the apostles do? The apostles, they interpreted the life of Jesus. Right? The life of his teachings and the law of Moses and the prophets. Are you following? Amen? I say it again. Ah, be careful. That sign is very, I don't like that sign. It's telling me. He's doing like this. I don't like that. Like that sign looks like random. He was doing like this. I, uh, but it means I should retreat. Be careful. <laughs> I didn't understand. I wanted to say, from which authority? Because Bishop is beside him. So I was thinking, but Bishop just kept quiet. So I had to ask, what are you saying? Oh, yeah. Let me say it again. I don't like this sign. <laughs> so when Jesus, so I said, Jesus, Jesus' teaching is that he would interpret the law of Moses and the prophets, right? Now, the apostles, what they do is that they would interpret the life of Jesus, which means that his teachings, and the law of Moses and the prophets. Huh? So, if you read the epistles, did you get it? Good. If you read the epistles, the first place it takes you to, if you read the epistles carefully, the first place it takes you to is the book of Acts. Right? Now, the book of Acts, the first place it takes you to is the synoptics. So let's, let's do it like this. The book of Acts are the background of the epistles. The book of Acts is the background of the epistles. Let me give you an example. The book of Corinthians, we are going to see it is in Acts chapter 18. Corinthians is Acts 18. Ephesians is Acts 19. Philippians is Acts 16. Should I say it again? Okay. Corinthians is Acts 18. Ephesians is Acts 19. Philippians is Acts 16. Thessalonians is Acts 17. Timothy is Acts 16. Did you get it? Corinthians is Act 18. Ephesians is Act 19. Philippians is Act 16. Thessalonians is Act 17. Timothy is Act 16. Did you get it now? So, 
every time I read the epistles, my corroboration is the book of Acts. Amen? Amen? And every time I read the book of Acts, my corroboration is where? The four gospels. Every time I read the four gospels, my corroboration is where? Genesis to Malachi. Or let's put it like this. Every time I read, right, the four gospels, my corroboration is the prophets. Right? The prophets. Every time I read the prophet, my corroboration is the law of Moses. Do you understand? That's how to do it. You see that? Do you get it? So, <clears throat> now, now, where did the prophet begin? Where did the prophet, when we say, who are the prophets? The prophet be begins, the book of the prophet, they begin from Joshua. Huh? Joshua. The prophets, the prophets are interpreters of the law of Moses. Amen? The prophets are what? They are interpreters of the law of Moses. He said, how do we know? Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but meditate during day and night, and observe to do what is there, and thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And thou shalt, that's Joshua talking about Moses' writings. Right? So, they are interpreters. So, from Joshua to Malachi, they interpreted the law of Moses. Now, now we are, we are, we are, approaching, we are approaching seed now. The law of Moses is an interpretation of the promise that was given to Abraham. The law of Moses is an interpretation of the promise that was given to Abraham. Let us look at it. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. So you see what I just said. Exodus 6. Now write this for reference. Exodus chapter 3 verse 13 and 14. Then now write Exodus 6. Exodus chapter 6 verse 1. The reference Exodus 3. 13 and 14, 13 to 14. So Exodus 6 uh, is verse 1 to 8, but let's just read um, verse 2. It says, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. Let's read verse 6 quickly. Verse 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of, Egypt, of the Egyptians, and I will read you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with, the, and with great judgment. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I, I, I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the bodies of the Egyptians. Now pay attention to verse 8. He says, and I will bring you in unto where? Concerning the which I did what? Swear to give to who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. So, this is the beginning of Moses' writing. I mean, the law of Exodus. And Moses is saying that what I told Abraham Right? I'm about to fulfill it. Right? 
So the law of Moses is an interpretation of the promise that was given to Abraham. That verse 8 that we just read of Exodus 6, it takes us back to Genesis 12. The point God made a promise to who? To Abraham. Okay. So. Now. Why did God call Abraham? Now, I want you to pay attention to this, please. What I'm about to say. I want you to pay attention to something that I would begin to explain from tomorrow in detail. But I want you to pay attention. Why did God call Abraham? There's something you are going to see if you are, as, you're, as, you're, as a careful reader in the Bible. There is a contrast, right, in two specific chapters in Genesis. In Genesis 11 and in Genesis chapter 12, there's a contrast there. Now, in Genesis 11, Genesis 11 is the towel of Babel's story. Genesis 11 is the towel of Babel's story. Don't sleep. You are there. Don't sleep. Genesis 11 is the towel of Babel's story. Right? Now, there's something that happened in that story. Verse 3. Genesis 11 verse 3. The Bible says that the people came together. If you read verse 3 to verse 4, the people came together to make their name great. Huh? So they came together to make their name great. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, let's read that one. If you go to verse 4, you'll see what I just said. Then you'll see there. So look, look at Genesis 4. Now, what did they want to do in the Tower of Babel? They wanted to build a tower, right? And to make their name, their name. That is the key word there, their name great. Now look at Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse 2. This is where God called Abraham. In verse 2, he says, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name what? Great. Right? And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that cursed thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Genesis 12, whose name is a blessing? Read it again. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now read verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And where? Shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Is that the gospel? That's the gospel. So whose name is the blessing? The seed. Stay with the seed first. I know why. The seed, right? Okay. So, God called Abraham to make his name great in the earth, right? In Genesis 11, what you will see is the kingdom of men, right? That they wanted to make their own name great. Are you following? So, Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 is a contrast. Genesis 11 is the kingdom of men. 
Genesis 12 is the kingdom of God. Are you following? You say, ah, is it the kingdom of God? We have said it in the first session now, right? This kingdom is forever. The seed is forever. Remember, right? Uh-huh. The covenants. Thank you, sir. So Genesis 11 is, would be the kingdom of men, and Genesis 12 would be the kingdom of God. So what therefore is Genesis 12? Genesis 12 is God's response to the disobedience in Genesis 11. Why is Genesis 11 a disobedience? I will tell you why. Should I say what I said again? Genesis 12 is God's response to the disobedience in Genesis where? 11. Why is Genesis 11 a disobedience? Because in Genesis chapter 1, I, I don't want us to go there. I don't have time. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, God's intention is that man will be where? In Christ. Right? And his seed will what? Multiply. Do you get it now? So, all through, the, with that, that is God's plan for the earth. That will be fruitful and multiply. Now, what is being fruitful and being multiplied is the new creation man, the man in Christ. Are you following? The man in Christ. So, anything against that plan is a disobedience. Are you following? Anything against that plan is a disobedience. That is why when God called Abraham, he said the same thing. He said in Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Are you following? So, God wants his name to be known in the earth. Man wants his own name to be known. That's the kingdom of men. And I want you to write this down. For every, write this, I'm going to show you tomorrow. For every disobedience, for every disobedience, there is a supernatural force at work. For every disobedience, there is something at work in the supernatural. This is where we are going to enter the things of the spirit very soon. Something supernatural is working. Something evil is working behind the scene. Are you following? Amen? So, so, so put it like this, for the purpose of interpretation, put it like this. Genesis 1 to 11 gives you a background of Genesis 12. Genesis 1 to 11, chapter 1 to chapter 11, right, gives you a background of Genesis 12. You say, how is that possible? I just showed you. In Genesis 1, there was a promise, there was a disobedience, right? I just showed you that. So it gives you a background of Genesis 12. Now, Genesis 12 gives you a background of Joshua, no, sorry. Genesis 12 gives you a background of Exodus to Deuteronomy. Genesis 12. Huh? It gives you that background. Then Exodus to Deuteronomy gives you a background of Joshua to Malachi. Should I say that again? From where? Genesis 12 gives you a background of Exodus to Deuteronomy, right? Gives you a background of Exodus to Deuteronomy. Then Exodus to Deuteronomy gives you a background of Joshua to Malachi. What we are saying in essence is this. That all the scriptures must be read together. 
That's the point. All the scriptures must be read together. All the scriptures must be read together. Jesus gives us an example of this in Luke 24. In Luke chapter 24, verse 45, he says, he opened the scriptures that they might understand the scriptures. I want you to see that in verse 45 there, the second understanding, there are two un words, understanding there. The second one is the word suinemi, S-U-N-I. S-U-N-I-E-M-I, Sunemi. That's the second understanding there. Thanks. Well, anyway, <laughs> it's not, that's not the word I said. <laughs> yeah. So he said, so there are two understandings. The second one is Sunemi. The spelling is, for those who want to get it, S-U-N-I-E-M-I. S-U-N-I-E-M-I. And it means to put it together. Right? To put the scriptures together. So, how do I put it together? Right? How do I put the scriptures together? Just like Jesus. Jesus read all of it together. The law of Moses and the prophets. He would be interpreting the law of Moses from the prophets. The prophets are interpreting the law. Is it clear? Is it clear? Don't be tired, though. So, Let's give an example of what we are saying so far. Daniel 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. Right? Are you with me? Daniel 9 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. The number of years, wherefore, now, people, people have read this scripture to, mean, to encourage people to read books. That's okay, but that's not what Daniel is talking about, okay? Because here, in Daniel 19, when he says, I understood by books, we know the book. He will tell us. He says, let's read it. He says, wherefore, the word of the Lord came to where? Where? Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years of 70 years in dissolution of Jerusalem. So which book did Daniel understand? Jeremiah's book. Jeremiah's book. Eh? It's Jeremiah that is here. It's Jeremiah's book. So he understood. But he says his books. Do you know how the Old Testament, they're in parchments. So it can be, not just that, but how we have it today. So the book that Daniel understood is Jeremiah's book. Right? So now, understand in the Hebrew there, in Daniel 9-2, is the word, it means... To have intelligence, right? That's the word understanding. To have intelligence in the Hebrew. So, Daniel came to have an intelligence, or Daniel had an intelligence concerning God's promise to Israel by interpreting Jeremiah's materials. That's how he knew. Now, where is Jeremiah now quoting from? Right? Where is Jeremiah 
putting forth. Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 is just an example. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. He says, Behold the days come, see the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, see the Lord. Where is Jeremiah interpreting from? In that reading, what, where, where, what can you see there? Huh? Thank you. Exodus. Exactly. He's interpreting Exodus. Very good. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah is interpreting Exodus to Deuteronomy, the Exodus story, right? Good. Very good. That's very good. So now, the same thing will go with Isaiah and David, right? I'm not going to show you that. I'm not going to show you. Um, this, I'm not going to read the scriptures, but you can have it as a reference. Isaiah interprets David. A lot of times. How? How do we know that? In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah uses a particular word so much. It is the word Zion. In the book of Isaiah, Zion is used in Isaiah, in the writings of Isaiah. Now, the person that came up with that word is David. David had a stronghold, right? No, David was a top military man, top, top, elite. Do you understand? Amen? So David had a stronghold and called that stronghold Zion. Right? Now, by interpretation, Zion will now be referred to that which belongs to the Lord. Amen? Praise God. So, so David, so as Isaiah will interpret David, David will interpret the law of Moses. Amen? So what is proper doctrine? A proper doctrine of the church would synchronize all of these materials together. I, I, I believe you wrote that. A proper doctrine of the church will synchronize all of these, all these books together. A truth isn't well explained until the teacher. A truth isn't well explained until the teacher goes through the whole Bible, or goes through the Bible. Praise God. Praise God. Now, let's see something quickly again on this subject. This um, second session of today is largely to explain Bible interpretation, the structure of Bible interpretation. Have you been seeing it? Right? How we are building the structure of them. Now, it is towards what we are looking at. Right? Towards what we are looking at. What are we looking at? The Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. So, see something in Exodus 13. Exodus 13. Verse 18. Exodus 13, verse 18. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israelite went up and nest out, and nest out of the land of Egypt. Now pay attention to verse 19 here. 
It says, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away whence with you. Now, the bones of Joseph here, I want you to notice that the bones of Joseph is attached to the prophetic word that Joseph said. Right? He says, one day, God will visit you and you go, so take up my bones. So you, can, you should write this down. That the bones of Joseph are like a written record of God's word. Amen? The bones of Joseph are like a written record. You say, how do we know? I just showed you now. Joseph prophesied. Right? Huh? They are like a written record of God's word. So, so that means that the written word, right? The written word, what Joseph said, right, is, is seen as in a figurative expression of his bones, right? His bones. So, in other words, the question will be, how did Joseph know that the children of Israelites will be taken out of Egypt? He must have read about Abraham. Or Jacob was that his father, isn't it? So, in other words, Joseph got it from Jacob, isn't it? Right? And Jacob will be getting it from Abraham, isn't it? Good. So, was Jacob, sorry, was Joseph prophesying when he says, you will take my bones out? Yes, he was. But he was prophesying from the inspirations of earlier prophets. Are you following? He was prophesying from the inspiration of earlier prophets. So that means that every prophet had a background of their predictions. Amen? Do you now understand when he says no prophecy of the scripture is of private interpretation? Nobody came up with it. They read, they knew that one person has said something, another person has said something. Another, so it, is, it doesn't stand alone. There is a synchronization of the prophecies. Amen? Are you following, guys? Okay. So you see what Peter said that, right? Okay. So, <clears throat> now, I want to introduce you to a concept of Bible interpretation that these bones of Joseph represents. Now, that concept is what we call a codified language. A codified language. Say, so what's that one? It's Bible interpretation. What is a codified language? I'm going to give you an illustration before I define it. Let's say... 1,000 years ago, right? 1,000 years ago, there was a book, right, that was, that was written by an author. And that book contained 900 pages. And, but that book is relevant in our world today. Now, if I'm going to, I'm not going to, if I want to explain it to somebody or copy that book in our today's language, right? I would not use, right, 
the language of that day. In the sense that I will not start copying everything word for word, right? I will not start copying everything word for word. I will code the language in short forms, right? I will put it in short phrases so that whoever is reading it will have a summary of what I'm referring to. Do you understand? So what's a codified language? A codified language is a summary of text. A summary of text that carries within itself multiple events. Amen? A summary of text that carries within itself multiple events. For example, the bones of Joseph is a codified language. How is that a codified language? It's a codified language because what Joseph speaks of about his bones is that God will take you out of Egypt. Do you know how many people God told that? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So instead of Jacob saying, remember that he told Abraham. Remember that he told Isaac. Remember that he told Jacob. He used his bones to speak of that which has been spoken. Do you understand? So that's a codified language, right? So, so in other words, to understand a letter writer, right? A letter writer, you would have to read who is interpreting, right? Who is speaking of before. So, so, for example, let me just give you an idea so you get what I'm talking about. Look at the epistles. You know, we have said that the epistles, where they are coming from, is from the text of the New Testament, right? But the epistles are short. And the Old Testament texts are a larger book. It will mean that the epistles are written in codified language, in short form, in short phrases, that they will be referring to something, an event, right, that has happened. It's not, not even event, a series of events that Paul or Peter will just put in one word. I will show you an example soon, so you, 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 you get an idea of it. You get an idea of it. So, for, for the purpose of emphasis, I just want to say this again. A codified language is when a later book is being used to interpret a 400 years ago book that has large pages. Do you understand? So, a new book today, you want to use today's book to interpret a book that has been, to interpret a book that has been said before. Amen? Right? So, you use Short phrases, short summaries to explain it. Praise God. Okay, so. Now, if that, if that has been said. So, I want the epistles are therefore written in codified languages. When you see a short form of a word. A short form of a word. It's probably a word that exp that explains an entire experience of a nation. 
I'll say that again. The epistles are written in codified language. And it is because they are, used, they are written in short forms. And those words are used, to, they are used to explain an entire experience of a nation. Now, now look at the word Christ that we saw earlier. Right? You understand that the word Christ is a codified language. How? Because we, just, we gave the word Christ a new meaning. What was the meaning we gave? We said Christ refers to an household. Right? It doesn't necessarily talk about a person. Amen? It refers to an household. So Christ is codified. So the way we break up the code is that we went to read to see how it is. Do you get what I'm saying? That's a codified language. Right? So, <clears throat> so, this means that, now, that means that the epistles, please listen to this, the epistles are not common to each other. Do you know what that means? Let me tell you what that means. That means what was said in Romans eh, is not the same thing that was said in Corinthians. They are not common because they are different churches, right? They are different churches. But what is common among the epistles, what is common among the epistles is Genesis to Malachi, right? So that means that there will be different codified languages in each epistles that we must know and address, right? Okay. So, what is common to all the letters is Genesis to Malachi. The, but the epistles themselves, they differ in time. They differ in audience. Right? They differ in emphasis. But the curriculum is the same. Genesis to Malachi. So, all the words in the epistles and in the synoptic, they are summaries. They are in codified language. All the words. For example, let me give you an example. What is redemption? When you hear redemption, what is it? Just stop. Say anything. Don't worry. When you hear redemption, what is it? Basically, what you say is that redemption means that somebody came and redeemed you, right? From maybe Satan, like that in the Bible. You see, that is, now, you will hold on to that truth because you are seeing it from the epistles, right? And probably the book of Acts. But when you read the Old Testament text, right? When you read the Old Testament text, you will realize that the word redemption is used for somebody who is a next of kin. Are you following? That's what is used for somebody who is a next of kin. Eh? The word redemption, a text is, is in Genesis 48 verse 16. We're not going there, but is it, you read it there. Genesis is the word gal in Hebrew. G-double-A-L, gal in the Hebrew. Right? And every time it is used, right, 
is used for somebody who is part of a family. Now, does it now make sense why Jesus died? He came to redeem his brothers. So, redemption is not God looking at us and saying, ah, these people are in sin. No, no. Redemption is God looking at his family and he wants to change them. Don't you see that it gives new meanings to the words? Don't you see you understand the gospel better? That the person that saved you is not external. He's joined with you. Are you following? That is his intention. So, who redeems is who is part of a family. Are you following? Who redeems is who is part of a family. He's a relative that redeems. Amen? He's a relative that redeems. Praise God. So, do you get it? So, redemption in the epistle is codified. When you go to the New Testament, I mean, sorry, when you go to the text of the Old Testament, you will now see that redemption is that it is a brother that is redeeming his family members. Do you understand? Does it make sense? So, are you, are you seeing a whole new meaning to the gospel? Right? A whole new, deeper truth to the gospel. Why or how God saves? God is not saving out of sympathy. God is saving because he sees the earth as his own, as his family. Do you understand? Praise God. The same. Another codified language, right, is when Paul says, you have received the spirit of adoption. It's codified. In today's world, we say adoption means that you have a child, then you go to um, social service or something, then you adopt a child. But in Bible, adoption relates with how God took and chose Israel. How God took and chose Israel. You will find out that adoption is a responsibility also. It's a responsibility. It's a responsibility. Earlier today, I was telling you about inheritance, right? Inheritance is a codified language. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with anything natural. Let me just give you an overview of that. If you go back to the law of Moses, right, and read that word inheritance that Paul we speak of in Romans chapter 8, right, you will see that inheritance will be referring to the word land. Land. Remember, when Moses stood before Pharaoh, he said that I want God wants to take his people to a land so that they may worship him. Right? So in other words, 
you will notice that when the people came into that land, right, that land was divided. Now, it was divided, it was apportioned for worship. So, in other words, inheritance is taught as worship. Inheritance is taught as worship. So, it's to worship God in a land. So, in today's interpretation, we are saying that that land that we have been brought out of is Christ, isn't it? So, in Christ, what do we do? We worship. Are you following? Huh? So, inheritance is a responsibility. Inheritance is a responsibility. So, and David, David prophesies about that inheritance. David speaks about that inheritance. Inheritance is not something that you enjoy. The inheritance that is in the Bible is an, is something that you do. Look at Psalm 2. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Don't worry, we'll soon be closing. I'm not smiling. Don't worry, we'll close soon. Amen? Psalm 2, verse 8. Look at what David says. He says, Ask of me, and I shall give the eighteen for thy inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. So, in other words, when we speak of land or inheritance in the, in, in the epistles, he's talking about what God wants to do on the earth. So when Jesus will say, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, that is the inheritance. That is the inheritance. So when Paul says, we are joint heirs with Christ, right? That if we suffer with him, so we will also be glorified with him also. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. That means the inheritance comes with persecution. Amen? The inheritance comes with persecution. The inheritance comes with opposition. Are you following? So, in other words, what do we do when we became joint heirs with Christ? We inherited the portion that belonged to Jesus. We inherited the portion that belonged to Jesus. Let me tell you a story. Have you ever wondered why Jacob is the most preferred of God? Have you ever wondered why Esau was left behind? Right? Have you ever wondered why? Do you know that the inheritance that was upon the patriarchal fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The inheritance is the office of the prophets. That's the inheritance. The office of the prophets. And how did Esau throw away his own Inheritance for food. Food. You see, 
what is my birthright to me? I mean, is that what he said? I need to eat. The Bible calls Esau in the epistle a profane person. Do you know what, what, do you mean, do you know what profane means? Somebody that cannot value, he doesn't know what is important. Hmm? He, he abuses what is important. That is why Jacob was chosen. Eh? The blessing, was Esau not rich? He was richer than Jacob now. He had more cattle, he had a lot of estates, as you would call it today, and cattle and things like that. But Esau did not come into the prophetic office. So the, the portion of Jesus that he inherited is his ministry. Amen. So we simply inherited the portion of Jesus. We inherited his responsibility. We inherited his vision for the earth. We inherited his vision for the earth. So don't interpret inheritance. Don't interpret inheritance using Webster dictionary. You will miss it. Inheritance takes you back to Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. You will find the meaning of inheritance there. Praise God. So the epistles, according to language, they are shortened versions of the Old Testament. The epistles are the Old Testament in summary. Do not distinguish the Bible, please. Do not. The only distinguishing that we must have is that the epistles are short forms. Short forms of the Old Testament. Praise God. Praise God. So, in other words, I will always need the Old Testament books to interpret the New Testament. I will always need the Old Testament books to interpret the New Testament. I don't need the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. I don't need it. It's scary, right? But that's the truth. The interpretation of the epistles, they are found in the Old Testament books. They are found in the Old Testament books. Amen. Praise God. Now, tomorrow, I will show you another method of Bible interpretation. Tomorrow, I'll show you another one. That is called identification unifiers. It's another method of Bible interpretation. Identification unifiers. I'm going to show you how to apply and how to work with that. But before we go, before we just go, I want us to see something very briefly. Just very briefly. I promise you it's brief. Don't worry. I promise you it's brief. Okay. Now, remember that in the earlier session, in the morning session, we said that the use of oil, right, is to sanctify a place, right? It's, and it is, it is found in the culture of the Israelites and even around the world. And we also said that God did not start it. Now, what we said about that is that 
when Jacob poured that oil, right, he sanctified the house of God. Right? He sanctified and said that this is the God of Bethel, the God of this house, where thou anointed. Now, I want you to also know that that word anointed was not used for just a people, right? It was also used for prophets. In fact, the Bible says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm, right? So in other words, when you look at that word anointed, largely what you are seeing is that you are seeing offices. You are seeing offices. You are seeing offices. Now, now, how did we, I'm closing, don't worry, I'll close, just relax. Because I want to say something to help your mind. Because some people think, in, so, I mean, some people may think, rather, that in the morning session, I said something that we are, we are anointed, that is, we are Christ, right? And you probably may mis- some people may misconstrue that to say that I'm saying that you are the savior of the world, but no. So I want to show you something that if you read, so when Jesus says in Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my church, right? Because the word anointed refers to these things. The word anointed refers to a people and a person. The word anointed refers to a people and a person. What you are going to see in Bible reading is that in all what we just read, you will see seed, seed as both singular and you will see seed as plural. And they are found in the family of God, what Jacob saw. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. So, now, why did I just say plural and singular? Because the plural, where would, be, where would the plural be found? The plural will be found where? In the singular. Are you following? So, when we say we are Christ, we are not saying we are Christ because we are the, we are the one that died as a sacrificial lamb. No. We are saying that his walk on the earth, we are faking it. Not to die, but to preach. Are you following? That is why we are Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, the seed, right, multiplies itself, right? The seed of God multiplies itself, right? It multiplies its kind on the earth. So when we say we are Christ, it's not to say that we died for the sins of the world. No, it's to say we have inherited his office. What he came to be. That is the preaching of the gospel. Are you getting what I'm saying? Okay. So that means that the word anointed will first deal with it. Will deal with a person, number one. Next, it will deal with a people. And then a people in a person. Do you understand? That is the prophetic order. One, a person. Next, 
a people, then the people in the person. That is the prophetic order of the anointed. Are you following? Okay. So, so if Peter, if Peter says, you are the Christ, and Jesus says, you are the church, he's saying, the seed in this, this, um, the seeds in the seed. That's what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying, the church is in the anointed. The church is the anointed in the anointed. Do you understand? <laughs> okay. So, Some people are not saying, yes, I will finish. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> so, don't worry, I'm done. Don't. So, <clears throat> so, the anointed is both one person and a people found in him. Right? Amen. Amen. So, write this down. Christology should never be, Christology should never be, should never be seen, that's what I mean. Christology should never be seen as an event of the New Testament books. Christology, what's Christology? The study of Christ, right? So Christology should never be seen as an event of the New Testament books. A Christology that separates Jesus from the Old Testament events is a false one. A Christology that separates Jesus from the Old Testament event is a false one. So, when you think of the word anointed, remember, it is referring to a function and a responsibility in the Savior and the Savior himself. Praise God. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? So, Pastor, wait, I'm done. Come down. Come down. Just give me a few minutes. Five minutes more. Well, I, I promise you. Uh, five minutes. Five. five minutes more. Pastor, five minutes. Time me, time me. Five minutes. Five minutes. Praise God. So, I just want to give that Christology a safe landing. Pastor Marcus, right? Right? Thank you. Thank you, sir. So, <clears throat> so let's, let's, let's conclude. Now, if, if Jesus is God, right, and he is, right, that means we must find him in all of the Old Testament. Right? Jesus is not a promised God. And that's what I Jesus is not a promised God. He is only God promised as a man. He is only God promised as a man. So that means that Christology is the God of the Old Testament. So let me ask you a question. And we're going to look at it next week. That's why, I mean, say next week. Tomorrow. Tomorrow is intense. So tomorrow is serious. We're really, let me ask you a question. Is it, is Jesus, ah, three minutes now, now. Okay, sure, let's go. <laughs> well, I'm done, I'm done. Now, is it that, is Jesus Christ, is this, when, when God became a man in the New Testament, is that the first time Jesus appeared? No. 
That's not the first time he appeared. He has been appearing. Amen? Throughout the pages of the Old Testament to Genesis. Amen? Let me tell you something. Yahweh is Yeshua. Anybody that wants to argue should go and carry transformer. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. To deny that fact, ah, who an Antichrist? People that are arguing, he may not be God. He may not, oh, he's God, oh. Praise God. See, Jesus was living and present in the Old Testament events. He was there. See, the person that brought Israel out. Let me, let's leave that one. The person that appeared to Moses in the bush. He's not an angel. He's not an angel. He's God. Yeshua. We will look at it next week. Because, why am I saying next week? <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know I'm going next week. I guess I've taught this before somewhere. <laughs> so I kept on saying next week. So, so did Jesus appear to Abraham? Did he appear to Abraham? Did he appear to Isaac? He appeared to Jacob. A theology that separates Jesus from those events is heretical. The, the, the event where Jesus appeared, right? Where you see God appeared. God spoke. God, that person that is talking is Jesus. Amen? Praise God. So, Christology isn't just pointing to the New Testament events from the Old Testament. Christology is a synergy. Is a synergy between the event of the cross, the four gospels, and the God of the Old Testament. Should I say it again? Christology is a synergy. You know what synergy means? It links a synergy between the events of the cross, the four gospels, and the God of the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, that is Bible Christology. If Jesus is God and he is, our study of the scripture is to find him in all the events. The Old Testament. Are you blessed? Praise God. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah.